0: Welcome to the latest Rosenfeld Review podcast. I'm here. I'm Lou Rosenfeld. I'm here with Jared Gingras and Tony Byrne. Hey guys, how are you? Hey Lou. Good Lou. Good to have you on the podcast today. Uh, We are talking with Tony and Jared because they are, among other things, the authors of the newest Rosenfeld media book. It's one of the digital reality checks series. It's the second one. And it's called The Right Way to Select Technology get the real story on finding the best fit and uh uh tony and jared are uh our principals at the real story group which is uh, a fiercely independent and delightfully at times snarky uh, uh consultancy that evaluates enterprise technologies and helps uh clients select them and that's the topic of this book and so the book is wonderfully snarky and fun and uh really um takes a, a very uh, interesting and unique approach to this topic. We'll get to that in a moment, but I want to just start by asking you guys, why is this so hard? I mean, why do, you know, technology, I mean, like I can go, I can go back 20 years as when I was still a consultant uh, and I did that for a long time. And it seemed like every problem that we dealt with in terms of improving the user experience had ultimately some, some cause in bad technology choices a few other problems came down to really bad executive decision-making, and I guess those things are related, but why, why is this, why does this suck so bad?
1: Well, when you think about it, you don't actually do it all that often, right? Vendors are expert at selling you particular technologies, specifically their particular tool. You're not, none of us, you know, are really experts in buying particular uh, types of technology, and so there's a little bit of a of an asymmetry there. And um, the reality is that I think people assume it's it's gonna be easier than it is and that they can just quickly go out there and throw some spreadsheets together and and, and that that's gonna tell them in some magical way what they need. And and also I think there's a there's a natural and very genuine excitement about wanting to move beyond the selection phase and, and get into the implementation um, and 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 get the new tool up and running. So there's a variety of different reasons, and unfortunately, we're stuck with this kind of legacy of doing this in a very waterfall way where you, you, know, you, you gather requirements that you hope are, are going to be nearly perfect, and then you, know, you, you, you quickly throw them against some technology, and then you make a, a, a very sometimes fraught and difficult choice based on that as opposed to sort of a more iterative approach like you describe in the book. This is certainly ringing true for me uh,
0: based on my experience. I often saw that there was a diagnostic void on the client's part uh, where they never really kind of got at the problem, maybe because they didn't have the tools or the language to describe the problem in the first place. And so into that vacuum, uh, got sucked in uh, all the, the marketing uh, material and, and jargon it just seems to fill those gaps uh, when the person making, who should be making a, a decision about technology simply didn't do the diagnostics. Is that still a big issue?
2: Yeah, I, I'll just jump in there and say, of course. And one of the big problems that we see, you know, getting to your point around language, Lou, is that people start these processes by trying to document every single requirement that they might need to think about with this new technology. And it's, it's really easy to go down that rabbit hole. And um, what we've seen is that's really the wrong way to start a selection project. It's the right way to design a new system, but it's the wrong way to pick technology. It's too early in the process to get down that rabbit hole. And and that's why our process is really really based around use case scenarios. Uh, We think writing scenarios that really paint a picture of what it is you're trying to do is a much better way to communicate what it what you're trying to do to vendors and to yourselves um and and instead of going down that again that rabbit hole of trying to document every single requirement that you might need
0: well of course the the problem with documenting all those requirements is that in the time that
1: it takes to document them uh, the world will have changed right Mm -hmm. yeah the world changes but there's a couple things too that happens first of all you end up losing what's really important. Um, is that in becoming, you know, totally comprehensive, you lose what's really critical from a business perspective. And so, without priorities, it becomes very, very difficult then to match up. The other thing that happens, and I think some analyst firms are 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 guilty of sort of pushing this as well, is a real focus on features um, as opposed to user stories Mm -hmm. features are the traditional way of breaking down what the technology can do and vendors like to talk that way but if we're talking about you know this new understanding of technology as a more human-centered activity then you really have to base your requirements around user stories well you guys sound like a bunch of designers well it's funny you know it wasn't really it's not like we set out 16 years ago when we first started assisting you know enterprises selecting technology to say hey let's apply design thinking to this it was more there was some trial and error and then yeah we we borrowed from the ux community along the way but also we 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 kind of just learned our way <laughs> into this approach i think the way everyone in in the digital world has which is Eventually, you figure out that the most human-centered way of doing things is the best, and you get over the humps around misperceptions that it's going to take longer, it's going to be harder. Actually, it can often be faster and usually a much more productive process.
0: I'm interested in your take on user stories, and, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that Jeff Patton, who's the author of a, a pretty well-loved uh, book on that topic, is, it wrote your forward, but I, I, I want to get a sense of what you mean by user story. So, can can you tell me a, a story of a user story? And and uh, sorry, how it might have, like you know what, what's a situation uh, that
2: that you can use to maybe paint a picture of how those stories work? The key here is that we want to we want to write these we call them use case scenarios, user journeys. But really, what they are is is narrative descriptions of what you want. A future state to be um, and there's a bit of art and science we always say about about writing these because you want to be descriptive about what that future state might look like and you want to you want to represent real people real actors real processes real content real workflows um, but you don't want to be overly prescriptive in how you write these because you want to leave them a bit open-ended so that the vendors when they when they get these scenarios as part as part of your RFP or RFD, um, they are able to really get a sense of what it is you're trying to do and then in turn be able to say, here's how our solution can best meet the needs that you've described here. What this does is it gives you some very different options from the vendors because you've left it a little open-ended and you see some very different ways of attacking the same problem from vendor A to vendor B to vendor C. And And we think as a... As a buyer, that's good, right? You, we want you to see different ways of, doing, uh, of solving the same problem. And, and we want you to have options as buyers. And, and we think that this scenario-based approach really does give you just enough leeway um, to, to the vendors to, to really give you those options. And so that as a, as a buyer, you're able to, to really figure out what is the best fit for what we're trying to do. What's the best way to do this for us?
0: So, um, can you give an example of, let's say, a story that might uh, uh, help paint a picture of how a, a content management system
1: uh, might be helpful? Or you can pick a different example if you prefer. Sure. I mean, there's one. You know, let's say it's a university, and um, they've got uh, they they publish events, and they use student um, labor to to publish. Events into a calendar uh, across campus, and there's different students from different departments who publish this event information into a campus wide calendar as well as a departmental calendar. So, you know, you have to have uh, a, a use case for somebody who's only allowed to do one thing. It's a student intern, you don't want them messing around with the website, but they do need to log in and see a screen that just says create new event or edit existing event. And in this case, uh, they may want a workflow for someone to approve it. And so there's another actor who may be uh, some sort of a departmental admin or something who um, then uh, approves that, um, that, that event. Um, and so they need to see, okay, what does that screen look like? How easy is this? Can I do it? Can I approve it from my phone when I'm on the go? Uh, but then the night before an event, there's a snowstorm and campus gets shut down. So you have to have the capability for somebody, uh, some authorized person who may be out at relatives having dinner and just has their iPad with them to quickly put out some sort of an alert, um, some override on the system without any workflow to be able to cancel that event and, and, and indicate, you know, that the, that the whole, you know, university has been shut down. So it's a, often a series of stories um, that are woven into a kind of a single narrative around, in this case, managing the digital representation of different events around campus.
2: The key here is to make it as real as possible, right? You want to make the the environment as real as possible. You want to mimic the the, the actors and the, and the their day-to-day tasks as real as possible. Because the worst thing you can do is, is when you go about these processes, these selection processes, and we see it all the time, the worst thing you can do is just allow these vendors to come in and give the same canned slick demo that they give to everyone else because it, well, looks, it always looks good. Right? That's what <laughs> I was
0: going to ask is like so you you present these stories uh you know I read your book and uh I've gone through your process and I'm I'm now interacting with potential vendors am I going to find uh the detritus of their exploded heads all over my uh my conference table? Or uh, do some of them actually say, oh, well, this is refreshing. I can actually engage with my customers and and think about how my tool might be able to help them. Believe
2: it or not, most of the vendors, when really pushed, they actually like this approach, this scenario-based approach. Because if you think about it, no one likes to get that RFP to come across their email across their desk. That's just that again, that laundry list of hundreds, if not thousands of requirements. And then you're trying to read through those and trying to figure out what is this, what is this potential client trying to do? You know, they're trying to make sense of it too. So to be able to write it in a really descriptive way, make it real. And it really does allow them to translate it and make, make sure it's a good fit for their uh, for their technology and hopefully come back with a solution that really does meet the needs that you've, that you've painted there.
0: Well, that's great. I mean, that's that humanizes the entire procurement process potentially, and to, not to mention leading to a better outcome. Um, but do you find that even then, with that more humane approach, you get a, a little bit of pushback uh, uh, in terms of, of maybe, you know, vendors seeing this is a bit too involved and a bit too iterative where they're Mm-hmm. their sales process is is built around making the big enterprise license sale in one fell swoop and then selling maintenance and get the hell out and leave it up to the uh you know to to the in-house consultants you know sales gets out of the way and and they're they're hoping to be done and moving on to the next client so i wonder how you know this process jives with how they like to sell
1: yeah i think there's a couple of issues here there's the There's the fit part, and then there's the financial and contract negotiations. With respect to showing that they're a good fit, 95 96% of the time, they they like this particular approach. It is a bit more involved for them. Occasionally, some smaller uh, vendors may struggle with this approach, and you may have to adapt it a little bit. But generally speaking, vendors like it. There's issues around them being compensated for more involved proofs of concept, which we'll talk about in a minute. There is one part of this that they don't like, and that's the iterative negotiation. So iterative mm-hmm. negotiations give you power over the situation. And what vendors want is for you to choose them and then to start negotiating where they have all the leverage over the situation. Whereas our methodology has you negotiating repeatedly while you're still in selection mode such that uh, cost in legal terms are part of how you're going to evaluate them. and that often does not sit well, but this is where you have to really buck yourself up and be tougher because you can usually arrange for a much better deal. Okay. So you might get a little bit of pushback, but of course, the
0: that's a factor in helping you evaluate or, or to make a choice. Uh,
2: you, you're not just choosing the software, you're choosing the vendor. I think that's a great point, Louis. We intentionally are are getting these vendors to jump through hoops at every step of the way, because it's your way to learn not only about the technology, but how willing are, are they to work with you from a team perspective? Because you're, you're entering into a partnership here and we all know that implement, implementing technology is hard. And so we want to make sure you have the right technology, but we want to make sure you have the right people. Uh, We want to make sure it's a good company fit, um, good technology fit, And as Tony was alluding to, it needs to be a good price fit and value fit as well. So you're, you're testing all these things at every step of the way so that when it comes time to make that decision, you're very confident in that you're getting the right technology and the right partner.
0: Um, One last question then, Um, you know, so you're the audience that you work with typically aren't necessarily uh, designers by any stretch, although I'm sure there are people uh, involved in design at some point involved in the process. When you explain this type of approach to them, do they have to go out and learn how to do design work? And, and you know, I know you have a whole chapter on how to, um, capture requirements that don't suck, that kind of prioritization work is very user-centered and it, it does uh, sort of speak to a UX approach. Are, are, there, are people who are not UX people able to pick up your book and, uh, and take and your approach and, and make it work for them without having that background?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. I think that if there's a role that this really resonates with, it's the traditional BA or business analyst role. And a lot of BAs feel really trapped in, in Excel spreadsheet hell, right? Excel hell, they, they'll call it, is that they're sitting there, you know, debriefing people and putting these long lists of features. And 99% of the time, they, they intuit that this is just not really the way to go. So what we find is that in-house business analysts find this very liberating because they can do the, the contextual inquiry and, and tell a story. Um, and we include a lot of stories in the book. Mm-hmm. This is something we do for our subscribers often is read through and sort of critique the the stories that they come up with, the use cases and and help guide them through that um, as a as a kind of an advisory service outside the context of any consulting and so this is something where we we often guide our subscribers, but it 's not a terribly big leap for an experienced business analyst to go from uh, from you know from doing feature lists to actually telling stories uh, and and like i say you know, although it's it's different and it may be intimidating at the beginning very often they find it quite liberating
0: and, and we can certainly point them to a few other books to help uh, flesh out their user research and design knowledge but we'll save that for another podcast and i wanted to thank you both for being on this one tony byrne and jared gingris authors of the right way to select technology a uh, god uh, long overdue to, that someone would take this on and apply design thinking to the technology selection process I want to thank you both for being on the show and and for writing this great book which you can get from rosenfeldmedia.com or amazon thanks guys
2: thank you thank so much for having us luke